Welcome to the Plymouth Meeting Church Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope the following message touches your hearts and minds. Uh, today, uh, we, we get to talk about faith and how faith can look a little bit different from, from person to person. And so kind of just getting into it here, I, I want to start by asking two different questions. Two questions. Uh, the first question perhaps might provoke a more narrow set of answers. And the second question will most likely provoke imagination. Okay, so two questions as we get started here. Are you guys ready? Let's let's get started here. Uh, the first question is this. What should Christian faith look like? So go ahead, go ahead and think about that. What should Christian faith look like? And again, that question might provoke, you know, you're, you're thinking, okay, yeah, like what, what does faith look like? You know, perhaps you, you start to set up your box. Hey, this is what faith is. But the second question is this, what could faith look like? What could faith look like? Now, very similar, what should faith look like and what could faith look like? Again, that second question might provoke some imagination. Now, here's the thing, faith and how people move in faith, it can look different from person to person. And today we have a story about an unnamed lady and uh, the, the prophet Elisha. And in this story, both of these individuals, they move in faith. But you know what? It seems like they're cut from two different stones. And so you have uh, Elisha, who, who's like an officer of God. Like he, he, He's a prophet, a man of God. He, he has his role, and he seems to be staying in his lanes. But then you have this unnamed lady. She, she has this more radical faith. She, she's pushing the boundaries of, of faith, perhaps. And so today, we get to learn from both of them. And so as we get into it here, uh, let's go back into time. We're in 2 Kings chapter 4. And let's start with the prophet Elisha. Elisha is a son of a farmer, and he was called into ministry. And you might know this, he, he was a disciple of another prophet named Elijah. Elisha and Elijah. Elisha is a man of prophetic gifting. God has given him the ability to have prophetic insights and the ability to do some miracles. And all this takes place here in the northern kingdom of Israel. We're about nine, 9th century BC. And Elisha, he has about 50 years of ministry. And this story is just one of the many stories in those 50 years of ministry. So one day, as he turned to 2 Kings chapter 4, one day Elisha was passing through the town of Shunem which is about, oh, southwest of the Sea of Galilee. And uh, 
he's passing through the town and there was a well-to-do, a prominent lady in the town and she notices Elisha and she urges him to come stay for a meal. And Elisha obliges. But you know what? This actually becomes a thing. Every time Elisha comes to town, uh, every time he's coming through, he's stopping by this lady's house for some grub. Now, this lady said to her husband, surely this is a a holy man here. Like, like, let's make him a room on the roof. Let's give him a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp. Let's do the works. Those are awesome privileges, awesome things to have in this day and age. Your own room with a bed, a table, a chair, a lamp, okay? In discipleship language... We would call this lady a person of peace, all right? She's showing hospitality. There's a natural bond. There's some chemistry going on. This lady is serving Elisha, a person of peace. Now, just to note, the lady makes this decision, and and, and then she informs her, her husband. And you know what? This actually stands out, because this is a patriarchal society where What that means is men are full members of society, and women usually have little power, and they're often pushed pushed off to the side. But you know what? In this story, it seems like this woman, she functions more like the master of the house. So next time Elisha comes through, he's there, he lays down for a nap, a nice nap, he gets up. He wants to do something nice for her now. And so he gets his, his servant, his sidekick named Gehazi, and he has Gehazi go speak with the woman. Now, I want you to notice throughout this story, you're going to see Elisha. He is using Gehazi often, like he is mediating through him uh, throughout this story. Okay, so they go to the lady, and and you've done all of this to take care of us. You know, this is wonderful. Uh, We love it. What can we do for you? We want to show reciprocity. But here's the thing. She's already a prominent lady, a well-to-do lady. What what do you get the lady who has everything? And so perhaps, uh, is, is there anything Elisha can do? Like, can he go before the king or the commander of the army? All right. And so let me contextualize here. It's, it's kind of like saying, hey, um, can I go talk to your, your teacher, your principal? OK, can I talk to your boss? I bet I can get your boss to give you a raise, to give you more time off. Maybe, hey, can I go to the bank? And you know what? I can get the bank to give you a better interest rate. I can go to the governor and, and, and move things around for you. Elisha certainly has some sort of credibility here. He has influence capital to spend. He can go and talk with kings and commanders. Now this lady responds. She says, nah, I'm good. I am all good. I have a home among my people. Meaning she's content. She doesn't need any any favors. And so Elisha He thinks for a moment here, he starts talking with his sidekick, Gehazi, and he's just thinking, there's got to be something we can do for her. 
And so Gehazi thinks for a moment and he makes this observation. You know what? This lady's husband is old. They don't have any kids. That's it. So Elisha, he he has this idea. He calls the lady back into his room. Hey, next time this year, you're going to be holding a baby of your own in your own arms. And the lady shoots back. You better not be messing around. Okay, you better not be misleading me, servant of God. Now, if you know more details about Elisha, if you know more of his stories, then you know he's a hero. He's a legend. He is a man of God. But in this story, as far as we know, neither God nor the woman were consulted about this prophetic pregnancy here. And before we move on, maybe we can just slow down and ask, hey, is Elisha being hasty? Is, is, this, is this faith? Is this what faith looks like for Elisha? In faith, is he shooting from the hip? Well, we don't know, but the reminder is this. You know what? Hey, it's okay not to rush. I would say a large majority of the time, you do not need to be dictated by the circumstances around you. All right? Even on on the spiritual level, you know, God, you know, God has has space for us by his kindness. He leads us to repentance. All right. There's room to process. There's room to pray, to consult, to get counsel. There's a time jump in the story. The lady gets pregnant. You know what? Yeah, she has a baby boy. The boy grows up. Another time jump in the story. Next, we see the boy. The boy, you know, he, he goes out to the field. And the father is there with, with the other uh, farmers, the, the reapers there. And the boy heads out, uh, but then something, uh, something bad happens. He gets like this violent headache, and he says, my head, my head. All right. And the father says to his servants, hey, carry him to his mother. And it just really seems like this father is detached from his boy. And so the boy is, is taken back to the, the homestead, taken back to the house, and, and mom just holds him. There is something very wrong with her boy. And all that she can really do is just embrace him. Embrace him. It's just like a, a scene of maternal comfort. There's no emergency room. There's no urgent care. She holds her boy for a number of hours, and then it's about noon, then he dies. Death is the ultimate destroyer of hope. But then she takes the body. She goes to that that upper room. She lays the body on top of Elisha's bed. She shuts the door, and she walks out. But what we see next is this. There there is purpose in her steps. It's like she she knows or or it's like she's just acting in this faith. There's, There's purpose in her steps. She needs Elisha and she needs him to come quickly. 
And so she calls her husband and she asks for a servant and a donkey so that she can go to Elisha. And the husband's like, why do you need him? Why do you need Elisha right now? It's not a holiday, you know? And she's like, it's all right, all right? There is no indication that this father has any idea that his boy is dead. And so she makes the trip on the donkey from Shunem to Carmel, which is about 15 miles, all right? That's quite the trip. Now, Elisha, he's able to see her coming from a distance. And so he sends Gehazi out, and Gehazi goes ahead and, and meets up with her, and, and, and it's like, hey, what's going on? And she says, everything's fine. Everything's fine, is what she says. So then her and Gehazi then make it back to Elisha, and she throws herself at the feet and, and of Elisha and holds on to him tightly. And Gehazi's like trying to pull her away, but then Elijah says, no, like leave her alone. You know, can't you see she's in distress? Everything's not fine. And Elisha says this, God has hidden it from me. God has not told me why she's in distress. Now this give, gives us like this insight into prophetic experience here. You know, spiritual gifts are from God. God may or may not give insights here to Elisha. Now, you might not have the gift of prophecy, but in Christ, you have spiritual gifts. You're not a little God walking around, okay? Like, with your spiritual gifts, it doesn't mean you're... you're you're a little God walking around. No, you still have limitations. Elisha had limitations. Everyone has limitations, even in their giftings, even when their gift is super fine-tuned. But this lady is heartbroken here, and, and she's kind of accusatory. Hey, did I ask you for a son, my Lord? Did, didn't I tell you, don't mess with me? Don't raise my hopes, did Elisha overstep his role by promising a child? Would it have been better if the boy was never born? So here's Elisha's solution. He sends Gehazi. <laughs> he says, don't waste a second. Here, take my staff. Run as fast as you can. Don't talk to anyone. Just go. Even if they try to talk to you, don't say a word. Just go. Go straight to the boy. Lay my staff on the boy's face. Face. Okay? So is this faith? It could be. Is, is Elisha just shooting from the hip again? Like, you know, we, we wrestle with some of the details in this story. But Elisha, yeah, here's my staff. Go, Gehazi, go. Lay my staff on the dead body's face. Lay it on the boy's face. Gehazi does this. He gets there, puts the staff on the boy's face. No response. He goes back to Elisha and the lady they're traveling on their way in. 
boy is still dead. Now, finally, Elisha makes it to the house. He goes up to that, that room. He opens the door. Yep, the boy is still dead. Okay. <laughs> so he goes in the room, shuts the door, and it's just him with the body. And he prays to God. He prays to God. And then what happens next is very strange. Elisha gets on the bed with the body, lays down on the body, like lays upon the body, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands. There's some sort of ritual going on, and I wish I could tell you what's going on. But I think this is where the Bible is just, it is what it is. You know, touching a body in the Old Testament days here, like like this is frowned upon, you know, that, that will make you unclean. But here, Elisha, he is embracing, he is confronting the dead, the dead body. What happens next is the body becomes warm. Not alive, just warm. So Elisha gets up and he paces around in the room. Now the story says that he only prayed once, but perhaps he's praying while he's pacing back and forth. And then Elisha gets back on the bed and he tries again. Mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hand to hand. This time, though, the boy sneezes seven times, perhaps symbolic for complete healing. But the boy is alive. A miracle happens. One, uh, something wonderful has happened. The boy is alive. And Elisha once again gets Gehazi. All right. He's still mediating through his sidekick here. Go get the lady. She comes. Take your son. <laughs> Elisha just seems so dry uh, in this story. Could be my imagination, but like here, take your take your son. She comes in. She falls at Elisha's feet. She bows down to the ground. Then she took her son, and she went out. That's a happy ending. But you know what? What's, what's missing from this story is any praise to God. The author of Kings just continues on with the next Elisha story. We don't get any commentary, okay? So now, let's ask God, okay, what, what's the point of our story today? What's the point of this story? Who did you connect with in the story? The lady? Elisha? Maybe Gehazi? We won't consider the father because he's just distant in the story. But what we see is this lady seems to be the actor. Okay, Elisha is a reactor in the story. 
Elisha seems more set in his role. He mediates through Gehazi. It's like he has his channel set up. Hey, there, there's a proper way to do this. I'm going to mediate and work through my assistant, Gehazi. You know, maybe Elisha did overstep his role. I don't know. But then we have this lady, this unnamed lady from Shunem. She she stands out. She seems to be breaking boundaries and she pushes the limits. She has this incredible faith. It's like when her boy died, she didn't bother grieving. Or at least it didn't seem like that. But it's like she already knew this is what the next step is. And so is this story about Elisha and God working through him, or is it about this lady's faith? Whose story is it? Well, it's God's story. Because ultimately, God is the one who heals. He is the one who provides all of the power and the gifting. He is the one who's compassionate. He is the one who gives life. And while I personally do not understand all of the details in this story, what I see is this. Elisha went face to face with death, literally mouth to mouth with death. Many of us, we have a fear of death or a fear of the process of dying. And as we said earlier, death is the ultimate destroyer of hope. Death does this little victory dance over all of us. But this is God's story. And where I can bounce this to is to the gospel, to the good news. Because God went face, face to face with death. That's death with a capital D. It's Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus entered into death. Jesus victoriously swallowed up death. Jesus took away death's victory dance. Jesus took away the sting of death. As it says in 1 Corinthians 15, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Death no longer has to be a source of dread or fear for those who are in Christ. Jesus overcame death, and someday we will too. Now the law makes sinners out of all of us. Why? Because we can't keep the law. But that doesn't matter anymore because of the victory of Jesus, and now because of grace. And upon reflection of this story and in light of the gospel, I want you to know, know that Jesus went face to face with evil, sin, death, and darkness, and he overpowered it, and he overturned all of it. And someday it will be all gone forever. Jesus did this. And if you believe in this, then this is true of you. You can move with purpose today. And I'm not saying Jesus is going to give you the easy life. In fact, no, not even close. But Jesus empowers you to do real life.
Jesus gives you grace. Jesus gives you freedom. A gospel frees you. The gospel creates and holds space for us to live out our faith and freedom. And I was thinking about Elisha and Gehazi here, how they represent the more structured and organized portions of our faith. And I think about this lady and how she represents the more radical and wild edges of our faith. And you know what? The gospel makes room for both. The gospel makes room for both the organized and the organic. Why? Because the gospel frees us. The gospel certainly teaches us what our faith should look like, but it also inspires us what faith could look like. The gospel frees you to serve others. Go find people of peace. Go find people that you naturally connect with. People that that naturally kind of have this chemistry with you. Go find people of peace and lean into them. The gospel frees you to use your God-given spiritual gifts. The gospel frees you to embrace others. To simply just go and and be with people. To hold them. Perhaps all you can do sometimes is just be present with them. The gospel frees you to move with purpose. Even when everything just seems to be wrong, the gospel gives you a hope. Gives you a peace to walk with faith and hope. The gospel gives you a peace that says everything's fine. The gospel frees you to be unique, to try new things. The gospel says the pressure's off in faith. If you need to shoot from the hip from time to time, that's okay. There's grace for that. The gospel frees you to get really personal with distress and decay. The gospel frees you to pray fervently. The gospel frees you to be a missionary. You know what? As you are you, as you are you, as God made you to be, God can use you to help bring about new life into a lost person. Maybe there's no reason for Elijah climbing on that dead body other than that was Elisha being Elisha and God used Elisha as 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 Elisha is, you know? I think we do weird stuff all the time, right? And God works through us. God may use you to bring about new life into a lost person, to raise the dead back to life. And through it all, the gospel says our work for Jesus, our work for the kingdom, 
whatever it may look like. If it's a little more radical and boundary pushing, or if it's more um, operating in our lane, what we do in our faith is not wasted. And this is why I love how 1 Corinthians 15 ends. The Apostle Paul says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor is not in vain. Whatever your faith walk looks like, keep it up. Move with purpose. Develop those good habits. Walk and faith in your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Let's pray.